It's Tuesday. You know what that means. Welcome one, welcome more, welcome all to a brand new edition of everybody's favorite podcast. Random thoughts and best regards. He used to reside in the 5-2. Now he spends his time at the truly beautiful intersection of smart and stupid. Some call him the handsome one. You know him, you love him. He's the voice of reason, T-O-double-D. All right, here we go. Welcome into another episode of Random Thoughts and Best Regards, an episode that is hopefully just as funny as an Urban Meyer apology press conference. <laughs> uh, boy, did you guys check that out this past weekend. Uh, poor, poor Jacksonville Jaguars. Poor Urban Meyer. Um, <laughs> so, uh, that's a story we may get into later. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, how's everybody doing? I hope well. I hope well indeed. And man, what a packed show we got for you today. Um, Major League Baseball. What a wild end to the season. And now the playoffs are set. Who's excited about some October baseball? Let's go ahead and start there today and uh, talk about how kind of the, the season shook out and and where some of the teams are and um the excitement that is going to be october baseball um so first let's go over the wild cards um in the al we have two teams out of the al east we have the new york yankees who had a record of 92 and 70. uh they will travel to fenway to take on the boston red sox who also had a record of 92 and 70. Uh, Red Sox have the tiebreaker, so they will get home field advantage uh, in the game that takes place on Tuesday. Uh, The winner of this series will play the Tampa Bay Rays, who have a record of 162 and won the AL East. Let's talk about the AL East for a moment before we start to break down the rest of the playoff scenarios, because it was wild. Um, as As I just mentioned, you have both the Yankees and the Red Sox with 92 wins this season. Then you have the division winners, the Tampa Bay Rays, with a record of 100 and, uh, 162. And then the team who just missed the wild card is the fourth place team in the AL East, the Toronto Blue Jays, who had a record of 91 and 71. The four teams in the AL East had a better record than some division winners in the NL and just barely missed having a better record than some of the division winners in the AL. Um, the, the, I, I mean, whew, the AL East was absolutely stacked this year, and I think you have to stop to wonder how good does that make the Tampa Bay Rays, right? Like, Tampa Bay had 100 wins, but think about who the majority of those 100 wins came against. They came against the New York Yankees, who had 92 wins, the Boston Red Sox, who had 92 wins, and the Toronto Blue Jays, who had 91 wins. Think about the level of competition that Tampa was facing in the large majority of the games. And they managed to win 100 games this season. It's impressive. And I think that 
Tampa clearly has to be the favorite out of the American League. I don't know if they're the favorite to win the whole thing. We'll talk about who that could possibly be in just a few moments when we get to the NL. But I think Tampa has to really be considered as a heavy when we're talking about the American League. Um, Listen, it's great. We're going to get a a one-game playoff, a wild-card game between the Yankees and Red Sox. Who doesn't love that rivalry? Who doesn't love a little Yankees-Red Sox in October? Uh, So I'm definitely stoked for that. Um, Either way, I'm not optimistic if the Red Sox win, if we have to go and play Tampa. Um, But, you know, it's it's the playoffs, and and we'll see what happens. Um, You know, my hope is that the Red Sox can get past the Yankees and then hopefully put up a series against the Rays. We'll, we'll see what happens. Um, but just, again, I can't stress enough how good the AL East was. Uh, again, the Toronto Blue Jays were the fourth team, fourth place team in the AL East, and they just missed having a wild card by one game. It was a one game difference um, from the fourth place team in the AL East jumping into a wild card spot. Um, so let's talk a little bit now about the NL wild card. Um, we have the St. Louis Cardinals out of the Central with a record of 90 and 72, and they've been on a hot streak. And they are going to face in the wild card team. I can't in the wild card game. I can't even believe it sounds. It's going to sound so funny when I complete this whole sentence. But the St. Louis Cardinals in the wild card game are going to face the Los Angeles Dodgers out of the West with a record of 106 wins. And 56 losses. The winner of this Cardinals Dodgers wildcard game on Wednesday will face the winners of the NL West, the San Francisco Giants, who had a record of 107 wins and 55 losses. So, yes. We talked about how impressive the AL East was. While it was only a two-team race in the NL West, let's talk about those two teams. The San Francisco Giants with 107 wins take the division, and the Dodgers finish in second place with 106 wins and are the wild card. The Dodgers had 106 wins this season. And they're in a one-game playoff matchup against the St. Louis Cardinals. If the Dodgers have a bad night on Wednesday, all 106 of those wins are out of the window. I mean... This is what October baseball is all about, right? It's, it's the drama. I mean, I know when it comes to baseball, we have the dog days of summer. It seems like the season takes forever. A lot of people don't start to pay attention until after the All-Star break in July. But man, once October gets here, it's, I mean, the stove just gets cranked all the way up. And this is exciting uh, because, again, the Dodgers have 106 wins. One of the most loaded rosters in baseball. I mean, right at the trade deadline, they traded for Max Scherzer, who has been lights out uh, since joining the Dodgers. Um, they're going to face the Cardinals, who have been red hot. And if the Cardinals win on Wednesday, essentially those 106 wins were all for naught. Now, 
if the Dodgers win in the NLDS, we're not even talking about the NLCS, in the divisional round, we're going to have the Los Angeles Dodgers with 106 wins taking on the San Francisco Giants with 107 wins. I mean, let's talk about what is going to come out of these wildcard matchups, okay? Again, they start on Tuesday with the Yankees and the Red Sox. Yankees, 92 wins. Red Sox, 92 wins. Somebody's going to get their 93rd win out of that series and advance to the ALDS. And again, not in the ALCS, but in the ALDS, we're going to have either Boston or New York with their 93 wins versus Tampa Bay and their 100 wins. And then in the NL, we're either going to have the Red Hot Cardinals against the San Francisco Giants and their 107 wins, or we're going to have another great rivalry. We talked about the Yankee-Red Sox rivalry. Another great rivalry dating all the way back to, you know, Brooklyn and New York. Uh, We're going to have the L.A. Dodgers and the San Francisco Dodgers uh, with the two best records in baseball. The two best records in baseball facing off in the NLDS. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, Let's talk about the other matchups in the ALDS, which gets underway on Thursday. Uh, We're going to have the Chicago White Sox, uh, who won the Central Division, taking on the Houston Astros, who won the West. Uh, White Sox have a record of 93-69, and while the Astros have a record of 95-67. and And in the other NLDS matchup, which kicks off on Friday, we will have the Atlanta Braves, who won the East with a record of 88-73, and versus the Milwaukee Brewers out of the Central, who have a record of 95-67. and So there you go. Those are all the participants. Uh, in the AL, we have, again, the New York Yankees, the Boston Red Sox, the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, the Chicago White Sox, the Houston Astros. In the NL, uh, we have the St. Louis Cardinals, the Los Angeles Dodgers, the San Francisco Giants, uh, the Atlanta Braves, and the Milwaukee Brewers. Who will it be? What will happen um, if I'm making early projections? Um, I'm going to play the favorites, I guess. Uh, I'm going to, I'm not going to not going to differentiate too much. Um, clearly, I'd love to see Boston make a run to the World Series, but I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, see, I'm gonna go with Tampa out of the out of the AL. I, I think Tampa will will win the American League, and um, I think it's it's man, it's gonna be tight in the NL. My gut is saying the Dodgers, but my brain is gonna go with the Giants. Um, so I'll, I'll play the favorites. Uh, in, in my World Series prediction, and I will say that uh, it will be the Tampa Bay Rays representing the American League and the San Francisco Giants representing the National League, and uh, we'll see. But a lot of fun baseball heading our way now that the playoffs are started. Uh, we'll see. I'm going to see pretty soon. Um, trying to work. My schedule's been crazy lately, uh, especially with trying to get uh, windows of opportunity to have people on the show. But uh, I'm going to see if I can go ahead and get Maddie Matt on the show pretty soon so we can break down the playoffs talk a little bit of course about um his secondary team the houston astros um and kind of break down the mlb playoffs a little bit we'll see uh, i'll see if i can hook something up pretty soon here 
in the next uh, episode or two to get Maddie Matt on the show. Um, but that's the future. Let's talk about the present. We got a great show for you this week. Um, did you guys know Tom Brady went back to Foxborough? Um, apparently it was big news uh, this weekend. We're going to talk all about that. You know, it was interesting. I was texting back and forth uh, with Berenice uh, about the game and um, she was kind of nervous. She was telling me that um, she watched the last offensive drive for the Buccaneers in the fourth quarter and then shut the game off and went to sleep because she was afraid they were going to lose. So, of course, when she woke up, uh, she was happy to see that, that the Bucks pulled it out. Um, but her and I started the discussion about how important the kicker position can be sometimes, especially in inclement weather. I mean, that, that proved out in, in Foxborough. Um, both of the kickers for the Patriots and the Buccaneers played crucial roles uh, in Sunday night's game. Um, so much so, again, we'll, we'll talk about it later, that Polk, uh, excuse me, Folk from the Patriots had an opportunity to kick the game winner and it doinked off the upright. Uh, we will talk all about that and more Tom Brady's return to Foxborough. Um, we're also going to talk about a situation that's come up with a podcast appearance that Sage Steele, uh, ESPN Sports Center anchor, had. Um, I'm going to give you some of my thoughts. Um, in order to be fair to Sage, I listened to the entire uh, interview on the Jake Cutler podcast, um, and I'm going to talk about that coming up out of the break. So stick and stay. Don't go anywhere. Random thoughts and best regards. We'll be right back in just a short short. Well, the dumpster fire that is ESPN continues to flame on. Let's go ahead and talk about this situation with Sage Steele that kind of swept through social media this past weekend. Um, um, All right. So Sage Steele appears on... Jay Cutler's podcast. Uh, for those of you who aren't aware, Jay Cutler is a former NFL quarterback, uh, Chicago Bears, I believe Denver Broncos, maybe a few other NFL teams, but definitely Chicago Bear, former NFL quarterback, uh, Chicago Bears. Sage Steele, of course, uh, ESPN Sports Center anchor since about 2007. Uh, I've mentioned before in various broadcasts that spent a portion of my career working for the Walt Disney Company, overlapped two years uh, on the corporate side while Sage was at uh, ESPN. Before, oh boy, before we talk about some of the things that were said in this interview, and let me say this, um, things kind of as they can in social media ramped up very quickly because a lot of people were taking excerpts from the interview and kind of putting them on social media and and not all of them had context again uh, you'll hear as this goes on I'm I'm not defending anything and I'll make that clear in a little bit but in fairness I thought let me do my job as a journalist and go ahead and listen to the entire episode uh, it was, I think, a little bit over an hour, the interview between Jay Cutler and Sage Steele. And I listened to the interview 
in its entirety because I wanted to understand things in full context. I wanted to hear, you know, when you do this for a living, when you sit on one side of the microphone and ask questions to someone else, you know how things, let's be honest, I can frame things a certain way. I can lead you down certain paths. I can ask leading questions. I can get where I want to go. Um, And then it just depends if the person on the other side of the microphone takes me there, right? So I know how this is done and I know how this can be done. So I thought in fairness to all parties involved, let me go ahead and listen to the entire interview so that I can see Jay's perspective of where he was coming from as a host and Sage as she was answering him. And perhaps if there were things in front or behind the questions, that helped make some of the things that we were seeing on social media make sense or maybe not make sense. Um, so let me start let me start here because you know the what I'll just go ahead and say uh, one thing most definitely that I feel the the ignorant racial comment that Sage made, um, probably to me, shockingly, may not have been the biggest wow moment coming out of that interview. Um, so, for those who don't know, uh, Sage Deal is biracial. Um, I have a son who's biracial, and a lot of times uh, I have this discussion with his mother because although my son, uh, myself, and my son's mother are not together, we are both very large parts of my son's life. We play, both play huge roles in his everyday life. Um... And a lot of times I will say to his mom, you know, there are things as a black person you're going to be able to help our son understand that I, as a white person, am not going to be able to. And there's going to be things, you know, vice versa, me as a white person, I'm going to be able to help our son understand that you as a black person aren't going to be able to. Um, But the one thing that neither of us will be able to do is neither of us will be able to help him understand things as a biracial person, as a mixed race person, because neither one of us has walked in those shoes. We don't understand the paths in the world, so we can do the best that we can with what we know to help guide him. But there are going to be some things that he's going to have to figure out for himself. I have found obviously one of the greatest resources is to go to the sources themselves and speak to the people who are biracial understand their experiences understand things that happen to them in their life and and kind of have that help or see where that can help my son i mean a lot of times one of my best friends his fiance is is biracial to me in the past she has been a great source of of helping maybe understand things that could potentially be coming down the road for my son um those different types of scenarios so let me go ahead and um, kind of explain and set up where we went with the Sage Steel interview how we got to kind of the racial section and then 
how we kind of got to the vaccination section and, and all. I'm gonna, I'm, I'll, I'll walk you through the whole the whole deal here um, and try my best to be to make as many cognitive thoughts and kind of draw as many straight lines as possibly as I can. Sometimes we might wiggle here or there, but that's just my mind. Um, the interview starts off very straightforward. It's everything that you would kind of expect. Um, we get the, kind of the background information about how, you know, um, in 1995, Sage graduated from the University of Indiana. We get the whole, you know, she was a good Catholic girl conversation. Um, she talks about her first job at Notre Dame. Um, she tells a story which to me was very, uh, kind of hit a chord with me because I understood this uh, sort of uh, similar situation for me. Uh, she talks about how, you know, she was, uh, her first role was not immediately on air. She got a job as, you know, a producer and an editor kind of doing like behind the scenes stuff. And then one day um, there, there was a call out or, you know, that somebody was ill and, and they need somebody to step up and go on air. And she raised her hand and said, I'll do it. Um, I mean, I had a similar situation where I was producing on a radio broadcast for, for uh, high school football state championships. And the host of the uh, pregame and halftime got sick. And they said, well, we need somebody to go on the air. And I said, I'll do it. Uh, so I can relate to those kind of stories. You know, again, being in the same field as Sage, I can, I can relate to those stories. Um, you know, the one thing that she did say, and I was like, oh, Jesus Christ, man, <laughs> did you have to say that? Um, that Jay Cutler was asking her uh, how she got interested in um, being a broadcaster, you know, a sports broadcaster, uh, especially as a, as a woman. And, you know, she talks about how her brothers were athletes, but she was not, um, and, you know, kind of yada, 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 and then goes, you know, uh, I also just thought it would be a good way to meet guys. And I was just like, oh my God, why did you say that? There are so many women right now in this industry who struggle daily to break that stigma. Um, um, so that was the first one where I just kind of like rolled my eyes and I was like, oh God. Um, but, you know, clearly she has gone on. She's had a great career. Like I said, she, she came to ESPN in, in 2007. Um, and they, you know, so they're, they're kind of going like that path of, of things. So then Jay kind of, what I would say, throws the first, like, curveball type kind of leading question. And he says that, you know, she's referred to as the Candace Owens of ESPN. Um... I'm not going to spend too much time on Candace Owens. I think, yeah, I, I know in past episodes, uh, way back, I know Baronese and I spoke about her on the show. Um, she's an opinionated person, and uh, so be it. So, uh, and this is one of the things that kind of blew up all over social media on Sage. Uh, Sage said that she respects the hell out of her. Um, and that's kind of the soundbite. That's the first soundbite that made its way around social media. It was just a clip of... Jay Cutler calling her the Candace Owens of ESPN and and Sage saying I respect the hell out of her and, and Jay Cutler saying me too what you don't hear unless you listen to the whole interview is Sage say she doesn't give a crap about what you say that's why she respects her she doesn't necessarily agree with all the things that Candace says or that Candace, 
Candace's stance is, but she doesn't give a crap about what people say, and that's what she respects about her. So, again, we do get a little more clarification than just the soundbite that made it around the horn, so to speak. No pun intended, the SPN show. But, uh, and again, I'm not justifying anything that, that Sage is saying here. I'm just presenting presenting it the way I see it and heard it. Um, so that was, that was that part. Which then leads Sage, you can see that kind of trigger something a bit in Sage because then the interview does kind of change a little bit when that comes up and and it leads Sage to tell a story about how um, well excuse me so Jay asked a question that from there Jay asked the question when did she feel the climate at ESPN started to change and Jay talks about how he was a huge fan of ESPN, um, you know, when he was younger and he used to watch all the sports centers. And I'm, I'm right there. I understand exactly what Jay was talking about because it was fun and it was lighthearted. And it was, sports center is different now than it used to be. ESPN on a whole is, is different than, than it used to be. It is a opinionated dumpster fire um, right now. But uh, this leads, and again, remember I said, it's important to listen to full interviews and not just sound bites, because you can sometimes get context and you can kind of see where a host is leading somebody. Uh, Sage starts to talk about an incident about um, when Donald Trump was elected president and how Mike Evans, a wide receiver for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, um, said some things about Trump being um, elected and, and, and in a negative fashion. Um, and this, this was, um, you know, um, retweeted by Sage. And Sage said she got a lot of backlash by that. And the only thing that she did was she took what Michael Evans had tweeted and retweeted it and just basically said, if you didn't vote, I don't want to hear it from you. So basically, you know, and I think, again... I think we went through this a lot with the last election. It's important that you vote. And you can't really bitch and moan if you don't get out and vote. And I've said that for years. So I partly understand, again, not justifying anything that Sage said, but I understand where she's coming from with that. Um, I, there too, also think she needs to understand her role as an ESPN host. I don't mean in any other way. I'm just saying as a high-profile anchor of ESPN Sports Center, I, I just think sometimes maybe she didn't need to go there with, with calling out Mike Evans about his voting record. Um, she also says, she also goes on, again, listen to the whole interview, she also goes on to talk about how she loves Mike Evans, um, and, you know, she picks him every year for fantasy football and everything. It, 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 whatever, that was kind of weird, but... Uh, um, so, but, and this is, this is one part that I do not agree with at all. Uh, like I, I, I do support Sage in, in this aspect. Um, she talks about though, as a result of retweeting that about Mike Evans, uh, retweeting the, or, or, you know, retweeting what he said and then saying, you know, if you didn't vote, I don't, I, you, I don't want to hear your opinion right now. Um, people took that, whatever, they took that as conservatism. From her they took that as a Trump supporter they took whatever and she got a lot of death threats 
to her family. Um, and there were people who were even saying that, um, you know, they hoped that her children got raped. That is clearly unacceptable. And that is clearly, you know, crossing the line. There's, there's no place for that. Um, so I understand why she could be a bit bitter, a bit jaded, a bit defensive, a bit, all those things. I mean, when you yourself are getting death threats and, and people are saying, you know, I, I think she said she has two or three girls, um, you know, when people are saying they, they hope that her children get raped, it's, it's, it's not a good situation. Um, and Sage is, you know, Sage is 48 years old. Um, she comes from a military family. As I said earlier, she's biracial. Uh, her mom was Irish and Italian. Her dad was black. Um, she said she felt that she grew up having the best of both worlds. Um, and she feels she's proud to be biracial. Like she, she makes it very clear um, that she's proud to be biracial and she felt she had the best of both worlds. And, you know, again, to, to, for me, um, you know, my, my son, uh, especially when he was younger would say, you know, daddy, what, what, what am I, you know, I'm, I'm, um, you're white, mommy's black, you know, sometimes he would say he was tan, um, but as he got older, you know, he would say, daddy, what am I? And I would say it was, it, it kind of hit home when, when Sage said that, you know, she felt she was the best of both worlds. I would always I'd say the same thing to my son. I say, well, you know, you're the best of both worlds. You're, you're the best parts of mommy and the best parts of daddy. And, you know, you're the, you're the best parts of both worlds. I, I will, you know, I'd also tell him, you know, when he says, what am I? I say, you're Jonah. Like that, that's what you are. Um, you don't have to check a certain box. Like you don't have to check a certain, you know, you don't have to be this or you don't have to be that. You be you and you be true to yourself and you be the, you know, the good person. Um, that you need to be, and, and um, you know, I, I tell, or I say all the time, you know, clearly, um, my son is mixed, my son is biracial, I'm very clear when it comes to filling out paperwork for him, um, you know, if I'm not, if I'm not putting, you know, other with a notation, I will sometimes literally write in biracial, um, because I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be, you know, pigeonholed or boxed into to something. Um, so along those lines, um, Sage talks about when she appeared on The View. And this was the big one. This is where we get the big comment, the big soundbite that traveled all over social media. And I will say, this is the one I feel was ignorant. Um, and, and Sage, um, you know, again college educated University of Indiana military family uh, you can tell she's you know you can tell she's she's a refined person she you know she she puts on all the airs so to speak right um, but you can have all that and and you can still at times make an ignorant statement um, and as as much as there were certain things that I understood and and I could at least um, say okay to in this interview this is one where I just got to call a spade a spade sage and say where you went in this instance it it was an ignorant comment and and I'll try to explain why I feel that way uh she harkens back to when she appeared on the view um and Barbara Walters had asked her uh 
a question, um, you know, about being biracial and, and what she, you know, what she checked or, uh, you know, you, you check the white box, you check the black box, you know, what, what do you check? Um, and she had mentioned that um, Barack Obama, uh, President Barack Obama had in the past checked off that he was black. And Sage goes on to say, well, that seems funny to me because his mom and his grandma raised him and his dad, who was black, was never there for him. So, in essence, because his white mom and his white grandmother raised him, and his dad wasn't in his life, he wasn't black. Or he shouldn't be claiming that he's black. That's ignorance. Um, you know, I have a friend who has a mixed child. Um, she's African-American the father is white father's not in the picture does that mean that that little boy's not white like that doesn't change the fact that he's part white um somebody on social media had tweeted out well my father died and he's not in my life anymore does that mean I'm not black like I don't know what she was thinking when she made this statement. Um, She goes on to talk about how her white family loved her as much as her black family did. So, to me, it's even more confusing. Like, it's a confusing statement by her. But again, it's an ignorant statement. Like, I, I can't, I can't kind of help her out and frame it any other way as as it was an ignorant statement. I mean, Barack Obama clearly is mixed. Barack Obama clearly is half black, half white. If Barack Obama wants to check black as his ethnicity, he's entitled to. If Barack Obama wants to check white as his ethnicity, he's entitled to. If Barack Obama wants to check other as his ethnicity, he's entitled to. If any mixed person wants to check black or white or other they're entitled to check any one of those three boxes that they want because they're each of those uh I don't know why she thought this was a good statement I don't know why I sure maybe she just doesn't like Barack Obama like and that's fine maybe you have a political difference maybe she's Republican you know maybe she didn't vote for Barack Obama who knows Maybe she supported Mitt Romney, or maybe she supported John McCain. Um, Maybe she had an axe to grind. Um, You would think she'd be able to, again, there too, uh, you know, I talk about how I can only relate to my son in a certain way, and his mom can only relate to him in a certain way in in terms of race. Um, You know, you just try to do your best to fill in the gaps everywhere else. Um, You know, you would think that maybe Barack Obama being mixed and Sage Steele being mixed, she might be able to relate to the situation he's in. Uh, apparently not. So that's the one that, that caught like the wildfire. Um, and she talked about how it's a world of extremes right now. 
you're either you know uh, conservative or liberal you're either this or that um, and there's no kind of in the middle and she talks about how she did say that um, she's very proud of being biracial and it's okay to be in the middle and you know all this all this stuff and 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 Jay Cutler made a good point he actually I'll give him credit he actually made a good point um, he said that today with so many things the loudest voices are on both edges right so so um, it's it's the edges of, of both fringe groups right like there's no it's not okay to have a middle group or or to have a middle ground or middle thinking like you're you're either you're either this or you're that you're either you know here or there like the loudest voices are are both are on both edges and that is true i I will agree with them on that um and and i i wish there was more middle thinking there just isn't um she talks about how she was brought up with you know diversity the thought of diversity being the right thing i agree with that i don't disagree with that Clearly, I have a biracial son. I'm all about diversity. Anybody who knows me, even prior to me having my son, I'm very open to people's cultures, people's, you know, whatever. I'm I'm very open uh, to diversity, and I'm very accepting of people for who they are, what they are. Um, I just don't know where Sage Steele, what she was thinking. And again, it was a comment that was made, you know, at least, what, 12 years ago now? Um, but, you know, to bring it back up again in this current state on, on Jay Cutler's podcast the other day, it, just, it, it made me scratch my head. And, it, again, it's not that I don't think Sage Steele's a smart woman. It's not that I don't think Sage, Sage Steele has an understanding of what it's like to be biracial. It's not that I, I don't think that Sage Steele can relate to, you know, the white culture or the black culture. Uh, There's so many things. Just saying, the statement is ignorant. That's all I'm saying on that. Um, To say that it's odd that Barack Obama checks black for ethnicity because his white mom and his white grandmother raised him and his black father wasn't in his life. It's just an asinine statement. And it's kind of hard to kind of back your way out of that or backpedal around it or whatever she's got to do now. Um, but that's... That's that part of it. Here's the one... And I was like, God damn, this interview is an absolute train wreck. Um, because, and it probably gives you more insight to Sage, and it might make you understand perhaps why she feels the way she felt about Barack Obama um, when we start to talk about the vaccine. And it may, as much as she talks about diversity and this, that, and the other thing, it, it may make you feel that she might lean towards the conservative side um and through the course of the interview stage has a band-aid on her arm um so jay cutler again total baiting question it almost makes me feel like again when you do this for a living it almost makes you feel like um you know how sometimes in the past on this show um 
I've made entire episodes out of like what we call the, the bullpen sessions on random thoughts and best regards like like prior to me bringing a guest on the air there's always that um, a lot of times when you have a big show it be the producer who's the person that gets them on the phone and, you know has the, the small talk and then hands them over to the host um, when you're running an operation like this in many instances I'm playing the role of both producer and host so I'm going to be the one who is first contact with everybody and then I say okay in just a few moments we're going to go live blah 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 makes me feel like to I'm doing finger quotes in, in the bullpen session uh, where they got Sage on the line it makes me feel like the band-aid question probably came up because Jay kind of leads what I feel leads her into a conversation about the band-aid on her arm and Sage goes well that's a funny thing um and starts to talk about how um it's September 13th and the band-aid's on her arm because she got vaccinated and Jay Cutler makes a joke that well you know you had a pretty good run you, you held out pretty long it's September 13th and she goes yeah well um, I had to be vaccinated by September 30th or I would lose my job uh, because it's Disney's policy that you be vaccinated by September 30th. Um, and she talks about how she um, thinks a mandate is crazy and stupid and unfair and you know talks about how she understands why we're at the point we're at because Disney's a global company, but she doesn't agree with it and she shouldn't have to do it. And all this really just kind of drags Disney's policy and Disney's decision through the mud. This is the part where I was like, what the frick am I listening to right now? Because in my head, I'm like, all right, number one, your convictions can't be too strong because if you were that against the vaccination, you know, it's funny because I talk about this a lot. I've heard this so much. People are just so against the vaccination and they need to do their research and everything else. But yet when you say get it or lose your job, a lot of people who are like rolling up their sleeve being like, all right, let's go. Um, and that's kind of how I took it with Sage Steel. I was like, okay, well, your convictions weren't strong enough that, you know, you were going to away, walk away from your gig at ESPN, right? And she, she clearly, right, she got the vaccination because she wants to keep her job at ESPN. Enter the dumpster fire. If you want to keep your job at ESPN, why would you go on a podcast and drag the parent company and their decision through the mud do you honestly really think sage that this isn't going to be a call into somebody's office on monday morning like do you honestly think this is not going to be a conversation that's had at work do you honestly think that there won't be a repercussion for this whole interview we've got we've got the, the racial comments that you made now you're dragging your parent company through the mud about their mandate decision for vaccinations. Um, now, mind you, this is the same ESPN that just a couple months ago suspended Rachel Nichols for a recorded conversation when she didn't even know she was being recorded 
that some could take as sensitive and some could take as racial, they suspended her. You willingly got on a podcast and talked about race and then dragged your parent company through the mud about a vaccination. There has to be some action from ESPN, right? If not, Rachel Nichols certainly has an interesting scenario on her hand, right? If nothing comes out of this interview from Sage Steele with Jay Cutler, and yet Rachel Nichols was suspended for a recorded conversation that she didn't even know was being recorded at the time. Interesting, right? And that's why I say ESPN is just a dumpster fire. And it's also interesting to me because, you know, again, like I said, common thread here. Spent a lot of time with the Walt Disney Company. Clearly, I still have a lot of friends there. I know what they're going through. I know the people who got the letters in the mail saying, hey, you need to be vaccinated. You know, union, non-union, you need to be vaccinated by this this date. And I know it spreads across the entire company. Like, it's the entire company. It's the theme parks. It's, you know, the cruise lines. It's it's ESPN. It's the radio stations. It's, it's the TV networks. Like, the entire company. You need to be vaccinated you want to keep your job you need to be vaccinated if you're that strongly against it then the company will part ways with you and you can go find work somewhere else that's that's kind of how it's going but this is what just kind of makes my mind numb because if you want to keep your job right so the thing is get vaccinated or lose your job so Sage Steele who was against vaccination got vaccinated because she didn't want to lose her job But then she goes on air on a podcast and drags that company and their decision through the mud. She could potentially lose her job because of that. She may not, but she could potentially do. So if you're that, do you know what I mean? Like if if you want to keep your job that badly that you will seemingly forego your personal convictions and get a vaccine that you are formally against because there's a mandate that you don't agree with, but you'll forego your convictions and get the shot because you want to keep your job. But in the same token, you think it's a good idea to go on air and laugh and giggle about it with Jay Cutler and drag your parent company and their decision through the mud. I was just like, what the, what? And that was the, the, the by God moment for me. I was like, what the heck am I listening to here? Um, I don't know where it all goes from here. I mean, Sage Steele, I mean, she, she literally said she felt defeated. She feels, she by Disney's decision and Disney's mandate, um, she said the mandate is sick and scary. These are the things she said about her parent company and their mandate, that it's sick and scary and she feels defeated. I mean, somebody's going to call her in the office and have a conversation, right? Forget about the race stuff from earlier in the interview. Somebody's definitely going to call her in the office and have a discussion about this, right? Like, I don't know, man. Uh, I don't know. But it was a very interesting scenario. And, and like I said, I wanted to give Sage the benefit of the doubt um, and listen to the entire interview because, man, it, it blew up like wildfire. Uh, on social media this weekend, which is interesting to me because I don't know when this interview actually aired because, again, when I'm watching it, um, 
Sage is talking about how it's uh, September 13th. Uh, and that was also the same day that she got vaccinated. And I, I know even when I was listening to the podcast and the commercials were playing, uh, one of the commercials was talking about Monday Night Football and, and the Eagles and uh, the Cowboys playing. So I don't know when this one actually aired. It clearly didn't air this past weekend. Uh, I assume maybe a couple of days before, but whatever the case may be, uh, it, it just exploded all over social media. And I wanted to do my due diligence and, and listen um, to the interview in its entirety and try to understand um, where Sage was coming from. Uh, and I don't, I don't disagree. I don't disagree with everything that Sage was saying. Uh, clearly, like I said, the, 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 the racial comment was, was ignorant 100%. Um, and that's an issue that, you know, ESPN will decide how they want to handle that. Um, and then just the, you know, the, the whole dragging Disney through the mud uh, about the, the, the vaccine mandate was just wild to me because it was like, are you trying to lose your job? Like, are you trying to get your contract brought out? Like, are you trying, you know, and maybe that is the angle. I, I don't know. Maybe she's so mad. Who knows? Maybe, maybe she's, maybe she figured, you know what? I'll get the vaccine so they can't fire me or terminate me. Um, and then I'll just go on air and talk about them so that they have to buy out my contract and say we need to part ways and there needs to be a package deal and then she'll just go somewhere else. Maybe that was the idea here. Maybe that was the thought process. Maybe she was angling for a buyout. Maybe she was frustrated with the mask mandate. Maybe she didn't want to, doesn't want to work for Disney anymore because again, as she said, this is, it, the mandate is scary and sick uh, and she feels defeated. Maybe she wants out of ESPN and maybe this is her way of doing it with getting compensation. You know, if she gets fired, there's no compensation. If she doesn't get the vaccine and, and they terminate her, then there's no compensation. But if she goes on air, talks shit about the company, somebody pulls her in an office and says, okay, we need to make this go away. Uh, we're gonna make you go away. You know, here's your severance package. Here's your buyout. Maybe that's maybe maybe that's the deal here, right? Um, I don't know. Certainly, certainly interesting though. And, and uh, again, this one is not completely on ESPN, um, but ESPN is just a dumpster fire that continues to flame on. Today's random thought. The October 3rd preseason game between the Brooklyn Nets and the Los Angeles Lakers marks the third NBA season the Los Angeles Lakers have played in in a calendar year that is correct they have played in a portion of three NBA seasons in one calendar year and that's today's random thought hi I'm Dana and you might remember me from such random thoughts and best regards episodes as the great British bake-off and explaining true crime Todd is as handsome as they come and has a voice to match and you're listening to random thoughts and best regards Listen to in over a dozen countries on Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. Go listen, laugh. All right, I'm going to give you guys another Seinfeld segment. Uh, I know you've been been loving these and eating it up, and I'm sure these are probably more fun for me. Uh, but uh, you know, there's Seinfeld is 
it's crazy how prevalent it is in in the mainstream right now right a, a show that went off the air in, in 1998 uh has been the the talk of the entertainment industry lately um between the the move to netflix uh, for the streaming service, all 180 uh, episodes go into Netflix. Uh, the move from TBS, where they, uh, their cable provider, which they were with since the show went off the air, uh, now going over to Comedy Central. Uh, there's now the, the Seinfeld Lego set that's out, um, which is crazy. You know, I had a friend call me the other day and uh, tell me he could get me a discount on the Lego set for... Um, $53, uh, but it was retailing for $80, and I was like, ah, I'll pass for right now, um, I appreciated him doing that, but still, I was like, oh, I just can't, um, I can't, um, but there is a, a lot of, of Seinfeld right now in, in the mainstream media and, and in the entertainment industry, um, there's been a little bit of a, a kerfluffle we'll say a little bit of a hubbub a pushback whatever um netflix has changed the aspect ratio of seinfeld and now made all episodes uh 16 by 9 which is for high definition tv uh where a lot of the first few seasons of seinfeld were in a 4 by 3 aspect ratio which is the more boxier you know traditional tube televisions um and when they were on Hulu, Hulu just left the episodes that way. I believe TBS left the episodes that way as well when they aired them on, on cable. I'm not quite sure where Comedy Central is going with it uh, and how they're going to handle it. But Netflix has moved all episodes and converted all episodes to uh, a 16 by 9 aspect ratio. Now, I haven't seen compression or compression rate on the episodes. I haven't watched any of the episodes on Netflix yet. So I'm unaware of that, how it looks. But there were a lot of people who were complaining uh, one one major complaint or one example was uh, there's the the episode um, where George loses his Phil Rizzuto uh, keychain in the pothole, the manhole cover in, in the excuse me the pothole in New York, um, and it gets covered over with asphalt, and then he's got to have the construction guys come and jackhammer it, and you know it's the holy cow um, from his keychain. But uh, the major complaint from a lot of those watching this episode on Netflix is that you can no longer see the pothole. Uh, so in the past where you would see like a full body of Jerry and George standing in the street and then towards, you know, the front edge of your TV, you would see the, the pothole. Well, now it, it cuts off sort of uh, just a little bit in front of Jerry and George's sneakers. So you now lose the pothole um, in this 16 by 9 aspect ratio. So, you know, can't make everybody happy. There's some folks upset about that. Um, if you like the old four by three aspect ratio i'm sure the dvds are still for sale um those are all still in the four by three aspect ratio uh, i haven't checked youtube but i'm sure some of the older episodes uh in are you know on youtube in the four by three aspect ratio um, i will i will see what they look like in 16 by 9 i am curious to see uh how the older episodes do play being brought up to uh, to a high definition standard um, by Netflix and and the new aspect ratio, so I'll, I'll be curious. I will check it out. I just haven't had the time uh, to kind of sit down and do it lately, but uh, I will check that out. Um, in other Seinfeld news, I found this uh, very interesting. And of course, you knew we probably weren't going to get the answers on which ones, but um, 
at a press conference in City Field in New York, uh, Jerry Seinfeld was talking to some folks. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld, now 67 years old, and uh, Jerry admitted there were a few episodes that he'd like to fix. Uh, his quote was, there are a number of them that I would love to have a crack at, uh, but I don't really believe philosophically in changing or even thinking about the past. Uh, my philosophy of life is that it happened the way it happened and we're going to go from here and that's the best way to live. Uh, again, as I mentioned, Jerry declined to tell us which episodes uh he would like to change, uh, but that does pose the the interesting question, right? Uh, makes you wonder which ones he didn't like. Makes you wonder what he didn't like about them. Um, he did say, you know, when when the show aired from from 1989 to to 1998, um, things were different, times were different. So now, of course, where we are as a society and where we are as a culture, he's saying, you know, sure. Are there some things? with age and time that I would like to go back and change with the show absolutely but you know he declined to mention exactly what uh, but again as a huge uh, fan and historian of the show uh, I would love to know I would love to pick Jerry's brain a little more about uh, what those would be Jerry also told an interesting story about um, when he decided that this was going to be it and he knew he he had to have the conversation with everybody that this was going to be it and so he told a story about how uh he called michael julia and jason into his dressing room they all kind of awkwardly stared at each other for a bit and then he said you know i was thinking maybe this is our moment to make a good exit and everybody kind of looked around the room they had some conversations and he said they came to an agreement that at that moment in season nine in 1998 that it was a time to go out um, and to go out on their their own terms um, so they did so um, and I know in the past Jerry has said that there's that legendary interview with Larry King and I even when Larry King passed away last year I, I, I brought up the soundbite but there's that legendary uh, interview with Larry King and, and Jerry Seinfeld where Jerry's like I, I wanted to go out on top I, I had the number one sitcom on television when when we ended it and that's where I wanted to go out I didn't want to go out on the decline I wanted to go out on the up and and that's what they did in 1998 they went out on their own terms as the number one sitcom in television and you know what they've stood the test of time right I mean again as I said as I said at the top of the segment and I've said in the past couple segments that we've talked about it in the last few weeks, ramping up to this, you know, October date of, of the launch to Netflix and the move to Comedy Central, the show went off the air in 1998. And look how relevant it is right now in October 2021. It's crazy, right? Like, it, it is it is crazy. It is definitely a pop culture phenomenon and, you know, quite, quite possibly it is hard to argue that it is not the... Uh, most successful and most popular um, sitcom in, in the history of television. I mean, you just got to look at its success rate and its longevity. Well, you may or may not have heard that Tom Brady returned to Foxborough this past Sunday as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers took on the New England Patriots. And yes, it was the glorious return of Tom Brady to Foxborough uh, against the evil coach Bill Belichick and his Patriots. Uh, and, you know, going into the game, 
And there was a lot of hype, obviously, around this relationship of Brady and Belichick. Um, Tom Brady, obviously, uh, a fixture, a staple of the New England Patriots franchise, uh, left a few years ago to go to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, has since won a Super Bowl with the Buccaneers last year. And this was the first time that Tom would come home, so to speak, to New England to face his former coach, Bill Belichick, the two so linked together throughout his career and the two so linked together in the lore of Patriots history and all the Super Bowl wins. Um, this Leading into this game, this was very much about Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, and uh, only a little bit about the Buccaneers and the Patriots. And of course, I found that very interesting. I understood why, um, you know, the drama that, that tried to pull in the ratings for Sunday Night Football on NBC. But it, it was a, there was a lot of talk about Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. Uh, there was more talk about the Buccaneers, obviously, and not so much talk about the Patriots in general, um, which I found odd. But again, if you're plugging away at a storyline and you're, you're trying to, to pick the juicy stuff out, it's obviously the Brady-Belichick relationship, right? So... We get to the game on Sunday night, uh, and it was a very compelling game. Uh, And I don't know if everybody thought it would be this compelling. I'm not quite sure going in. Uh, You know, going in, I guess I thought the Buccaneers would win, because I just feel the Buccaneers are the better team. Uh, I thought they would win. I guess I'll be honest and say I might have felt they would win going away. But I was honestly rooting for the Patriots. Um, I wanted to see the Patriots win that game. Uh, I wanted to see it for the players. I wanted to see it for the Patriot players. And I really wanted to see it for the quarterback, Matt Jones. There was so much talk this week about Brady and Belichick. And like I said, not very much talk about the guys who are actually getting in there and playing the game. So that's kind of why I was kind of pulling for the Patriots. And, And obviously, of course, full disclosure here, being a Saints fan, the Saints lost earlier in the day in overtime to the Giants, it would be helpful if somebody beat the Buccaneers for me. So I was kind of pulling for the Patriots. Um, but what a game, and what an exciting game, right? We get through all the pomp and circumstance, and, you know, okay, Brady's back, he takes the field, video's playing, great stuff, all that, blah, 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 blah. We get to the game, it's starting to rain, right? So that's obviously going to affect things. Um, the Buccaneers eke out a victory by two points and when I say eek we'll get to that but eked out a victory 19 to 17 um and the if you watch the game which I did in its entirety the star quarterback was Mac Jones of the Patriots yes Tom Brady did what he needed to do the Buccaneers got the win but Mac Jones really shined in that game. And if it's not for a, you know, missed 56-yard field goal uh, by the Patriots kicker, Folk, which literally doinked off the upright, had the distance, and just literally doinked off the upright, the Patriots defeat Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. Uh, that's how good of a game that Mac Jones and the rest of the Patriots had. Uh, now, their running game, not so much. Um... Uh, <laughs> The Patriots actually had negative one rushing yard uh, compared to the Buccaneers' uh, 119 rushing yards. We'll talk about the Buccaneers and their running game in a minute, but let's talk about the two quarterbacks here. So, uh, Tom Brady, very Tom Brady-esque game. Um, 
that he had uh, 43 attempts, uh, 22 completions, uh, 296 yards, zero TDs, uh, zero interceptions. Uh, big news for Tom Brady in the game, though, was uh, he surpassed the career passing record of uh, 80,358 yards set by Drew Brees in 2018 that was a very weird moment uh drew Brees was kind of down on the sideline waiting for it to happen there was a point where there was a pass made um and it tied the record but surpassed the record but tied the record but surpassed the record it was a very confusing moment um brady and the buccaneers call a timeout we go into commercial thinking that the record was tied and then we come out of commercial and they say that the record was passed on that throw. Uh, so that was very confusing. I don't actually think, I was talking about this with a colleague of mine, I don't actually think the record was surpassed till the following throw. <laughs> but they celebrated on the one that tied it. It seemed like uh, it was It was a very weird, uh, very weird scenario. But uh, as are sometimes most things with, with anything involving Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, all it's always kind of weird right um so so we get that Brady gets the record uh he is now uh has the career uh passing record um Mac Jones right rookie quarterback we all know everything that happened with Cam Newton this year uh Mac Jones out of Alabama uh, won a national championship in Alabama uh, as a starting quarterback for the New England Patriots in his rookie season um he was 31 for 40 yesterday uh, 275 yards, uh, two TDs, and one interception. So clearly he has a better line, right, than Tom Brady. Just if we're going off statistics, Mac Jones had the better line. Also, which was crazy, as a rookie quarterback, Matt Jones looked like he was better under pressure. Or excuse me, Mac Jones. Mac Jones looked like he was better under pressure last night and kind of dealing with the moment better than Tom Brady. From almost the start of the game, like, so coming out of the tunnel and everything else, Tom Brady looked very focused, very dialed in. But once the game started, it almost seemed like it was in Tom Brady's head a little bit. And I don't know if that was the way Bill Belichick was Xing and owing things, um, but Brady never looked comfortable. Uh, Brady just didn't look comfortable. The rain didn't help. Um, I had commented during the game that a lot of Brady's throws were high. And I wasn't sure if the rain was causing that. I wasn't sure if the ball was slipping out of his hand or if he was releasing it higher um, or squeezing it tighter because of the rain. Whatever the case may be, a lot of Brady's passes were sailing high. Um, And in the beginning of the game, the Buccaneers were running the ball with Fournette. Um, Fournette uh, for the game, uh, 20 carries, 91 yards. But in the beginning of the game, uh, the Patriots jumped, or excuse me, the Buccaneers jumped out to an early lead, um, field goal lead, three-point lead, because they were running the ball with Fournette. Obviously, it's raining, right? And we're seeing passes sail all over the place from Brady. So you settle things down, you run the ball with Fournette. It's working. As the game progressed, the Buccaneers went away from the run game, and they kept trying to force passes. And credit to the Patriots' defense, they were all over it. They, they were all over it. Receivers were bundled up. Uh, passes were knocked down. They were putting pressure on Brady. Like, they were not allowing the, Patriot, uh, the Buccaneers to throw the ball. What became interesting to me was, and I don't understand why the Buccaneers do this, when the Buccaneers run the football, 
they win. It's it's like been proven out, right? Like we had an entire season to see that last year. The first half of the season, they didn't run the ball with Fournette and they were shit, right? Their record was shit. They didn't look good. We made all the comments that, you know, Brady doesn't have it anymore. You got what's going on, blah, 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 right? We saw that. And that was because they didn't utilize the run game. Second half of the season, they start using the run game after the, after like the bye, I think it was the bye week that they had last year. Uh, they start utilizing the run game. Fournette and company start having big games on the ground, and the uh, Buccaneers got it so hard. You just you're so set in thinking that Tom Brady is a Patriot. <laughs> He's a Buccaneer. The Buccaneers win the Super Bowl, and a large part of that is because of the run game and because of Fournette and company. Again, last night, go away from the run game, your offense looks like shit. I don't understand where the disconnect is with the Buccaneers when it comes to that. Stick to the run game. It opens things up for Brady. Stick to the run game because then it allows Brady to find his receivers. Um, You know, one notable thing I will say in this game, uh, Gronk uh, did not play. He was out with an injury. um, So that's kind of a safety blanket for Brady. That wasn't there last night. Um, But again, the Buccaneers still come away with the victory. Um, some other highlights from the game would be Steve Belichick's faces, the son of Bill Belichick, <laughs> the defensive coordinator of the Patriots. Um, there was just a lot of stuff going on with his face. Um, his mullet alone probably would have been enough for us to digest in one night, um, but then his faces became a meme. Um, that was that became a recurring theme um, throughout the night. Um, that that was interesting. As I said, it was a monsoon, uh, especially in the fourth quarter. Both teams execute. Hey, listen, it was pouring rain in the fourth quarter. Both of these teams executed very good football in the fourth quarter and put points on the board. You know, there was a point where Patriots go down the field and take the lead. And I literally said they left too much time on the clock for Brady because there's about five minutes left in the game. Brady comes back down the field. Buccaneers take the lead. He leaves too much time on the clock. He leaves, I think, under two minutes. I think it was like a minute 57 seconds on the clock. Um, Patriots come back down the field. And again, this is all in the pouring rain. Patriots come back down the field. And, you know, that's where Folk, unfortunately, doinks the 56-yard field goal. Um... But really good football in the fourth quarter, especially for the weather conditions. Um, So there you have it. I mean, Brady returns to Foxborough for the first and perhaps the last time, Um, you know, because the way the NFL schedules are set up. You know, Brady has said he wanted to play till he's 50, but um, if he shouldn't, if he should retire any earlier than that, um, which I, I believe he's 44. Um, so if he should retire within the next six years, uh, there probably won't be a return trip to Foxborough for him, scheduling-wise, the way the grid works out um, for NFC teams playing AFC teams. So um, it was the probably, possibly the one and only time that we see Tom Brady in Foxborough, and uh, it garnered all the attention, and it garnered a lot of viewers and a lot of eyeballs for NBC. Um, The Fast Affiliate live same-day numbers, that's all I have right now, but that was at 22 million 
So, and, and again, that's like same day, literally what it is, same day, fast affiliate numbers, 22 million. So you know that number's gonna go up probably substantially um, by the time this show hits the air. Um, so we could potentially be looking at, if not the highest watched regular season game, probably the second, definitely the third highest mo- highest watched or highest viewed regular season game. I believe the highest viewed game was a New York Giants-San Francisco 49ers game in 1990. Um, I'd, have to, I'd have to double check that stat, but I believe they still hold the record. And then I think the second one is a Patriots-Colts game from the mid-2000s. Um, so, but this game, again, early numbers, 22 million, that number's going to go up. Um, so we could potentially look at, be looking at the most viewed regular season game in NFL history. And uh, it was a dandy. I mean, it went back and forth all night long. 19-17, to 17, the Buccaneers get the win over the Patriots and Tom Brady's return home. Patriots and uh, Patriots go to 1-3 uh, and three on the season. Buccaneers move to 3-1 and one on the season and currently lead the NFC South. So I came across this article on yardbarker.com and I had to go ahead and share it with you guys because it was such sweet justification for me. You just, you don't understand. Um, the article ranks the 20 hardest uh, Nintendo games. So this is the initial NES console for Nintendo uh, and it ranks the 20 hardest games from the 80s and the 90s. And uh, I'm just gonna come right to the chase because I've said it for years, I've always contended, I had my Super Nintendo, the toughest games, my, my regular Nintendo, my Super Nintendo, the toughest game I ever played on it was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game. And I freaking loved Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles growing up. And so as you can imagine, like in the 90s, a lot of us were super psyched uh, when this game came out, only to find out that it was crushingly hard. This game was so damn hard and so damn long. And I tell people all the time when we talk about games from, from when I was younger and uh, when I talk to people who are younger than me and, and uh, you know, I feel old and I talk to them about games that I played when I was a kid, I tell them, I say, you don't understand how hard the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle game was. And, you know, it was very similar. Uh, there was a, a Spider-Man Maximum Carnage game for the Super Nintendo that was very similar, probably even, honestly, maybe built on the same platform. Um, but Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was so hard and I wanted so badly to beat it. And I can remember, and I tell the story all the time, and this game was so hard and so long. Like, we would take turns as kids, like myself, Shinju, Ricardo. Like, we would all take turns playing different levels because this game was just so hard and after a while you just get burnt out but we so all badly wanted to beat it it was like a team effort that we all took turns playing this game and then finally finally right when you're like it's taking you forever it's taking you months to get to the final boss you get to the final level and it's shredder and it's like almost impossible to beat him um we finally did and we finally were able to but i can't stress enough how hard this game was so when i read the article 
and I find out that Yard Barker hasn't ranked the hardest games uh, in the history of the Nintendo and Super Nintendo console, um, it was just sweet, sweet justification for me. Um, let me go ahead and, and run down some of the other ones they have. Uh, Ghost and Goblins came in at number two. Um, we had Battletoads at number three. Battletoads was kind of like a ripoff of uh, Teenage Mutant Turtles. We had Silver Surfer at number four. Uh, Mega Man at five. Let's see what else we had here. Mike Tyson's Punch Out at six. Yeah, yeah, that one was hard. Um, let's see what else. Uh, Castlevania 3, Dracula's Curse, yep, yep, uh, let's see, scrolling through here real quick to see if there's anything else, uh, that I struggled with, oh, yep, Double Dragon 3, <laughs> came in at number 15, Double Dragon 3 was a hard one, man, I loved all the Double Dragon games for Super Nintendo, but, uh, so there you go, that, that's kind of, just some of the games that were on the list again it was the 20 hardest games for the uh, nintendo and super nintendo console and uh, at number one uh without a shadow of a doubt and without a question in my mind it was sweet vindication for me uh at number one the hardest nintendo super nintendo game uh out there was teenage mutant ninja turtles and believe me myself shinju ricardo we all wasted a lot of time figuring this out here it is, your latest installment of Talk and Shiz About the Lakers, because Braun asked us to. The Los Angeles Lakers unveiled their new jersey sponsors this week. That's right, you guessed it, AARP. That's going to do it for this edition of Random Thoughts and Best Regards. I want to thank everybody for joining us this week and encourage you to come on back next week. And until then, remember, tomorrow is a new day with no mistakes. Stay positive. Test negative. Do what you know is right, regardless of the choices others make. Say I love you. Stay safe. Stay healthy. And be kind to one another. Don't count the days. Make the days count. Remember to look down the side streets because that's where the best stories are. And when you come to the fork in the road, take it. Thanks for listening to my dad's show.